So good morning. The afternoon session is supposed to be interactive or question answer so that no one sleeps. <laughs> Sleeping is all right, but we don't want somebody to fall from the chair. So when we close our eyes, just think that we are praying for you. <laughs> I know. I don't mind. I am good at this old game. In all my afternoon medical college classes during anatomy, they show us bones, hard stuff. So I used to feel very sleepy, you know, seeing all that. So I used to sit and like this doze off. So once uh, my teacher noted and, you know, conveniently I would sit in some little behind so that I am not caught. So once I... You know, all the tricks of the trade. After all, Lord Krishna's children. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I was nudged by my friend and I got up and my teacher asked me that, uh, ah, look, you are sleeping. So I said, no ma'am, I am meditating. Till date, I have not been able to figure out whether I said a lie or a truth. And I used to feel very bad about it, that why did I say like this, not true. (laughs) Then I realized maybe, I don't know why it spontaneously came out that I am meditating, because those were not days when I was meditating like that. So I thought probably something was happening inside. There is always a justification for sleep. It has a close resemblance very often to meditation. So it's okay. I'll presume that everybody is meditating, praying for me or (laughs) whoever. I have no issues. It's a good thing actually. Mother used to say to, in the um, playground when children would come and she would, when children would sleep off, she would say, let them sleep. Because basically what we are trying to do here is not an intellectual query in like a classroom, like a board. That's not how yoga can ever be transmitted. It is more to create an ambience, a yagna, an atmosphere where all our fires come together, you know, like the famous um, Rig Veda, Sangha, Chattvam. So it comes together and so there is a whole atmosphere or an energy field, if you want to put it, created in which we all can bathe, breathe and soak that atmosphere. That's the whole idea. So, before we come to other questions, there is of course a subject, but coming into the subject, I slip into it from a question which I feel is a very uh, interesting question. People don't ask often this question. I have been asked this question uh, earlier also. Uh, how is how did How was God born, right? Something like that. How was God born? So this question was asked to me by once by a nine-year-old. So I gave the answer and uh, that answer is little uh, easier to grasp that, you know, birth and death, birth is something entering into a finite state and there is behind the finite state an infinite consciousness. And when the moment you speak of infinity, there is no birth and death. This is a mathematical answer. And, but this question is asked from a four-year-old, so you know, can't talk about <laughs> uh, mathematics like that. But I think we uh, think of birth and death only because we experience life in this way. That's one part. Just a background before we come to the answer. 
So we see things are born and we see things vanish. So we, when they are, when they come into existence, that is the right word, we say born. When it vanishes to our senses, out of the field of the senses, we say it is death. Uh, in the higher worlds, uh, this question doesn't arise because uh, there is no birth and death. In reality, there is no birth and death actually. It's just that things take a shape and then they come out of that shape and vanish. But uh, how to tell it to a small child, I would rather suggest that, you know, they must understand that before a poem is expressed, this is the example I use often, a poem or a story. Before it expresses, where does it exist? Does it exist or doesn't exist? Now most children will understand it exists. Where does it exist? It exists in the mind or the heart of the writer, author. We can also take another example that uh, Mama expresses love in countless ways. Now, if she didn't express any of this, will love exist? Our children will say, yes, she loves me. And I know that she loves me, if, if, even if it's not expressed. So with these two examples, we understand one thing that things can be in a state of expression or they can be in an unexpressed state. Uh, this is a term more convenient, though not perfect, of saying manifestation and unmanifest. This is the uh, way to understand. So all creation is an expression. And even if creation vanishes, there is something which remains in its unexpressed state. A modern example also is very good that, uh, you know, you see the images in the TV, program in the TV. So where does the program come from? So it comes through, you know, some signal, it catches the TV catch. Is it created by the TV, in the TV? No, it's not created by the TV or in the TV. It is created elsewhere and it's transmitted through the TV. So TV becomes a recipient which gives form to something which is in the form of energy packets. This also children tend to nowadays understand because they have grown up on that. And before it has taken even this formless state, it exists somewhere in the mind of the person. And it is such a profound truth. You see, ideas don't die. Their forms, the institutions, they die because they are not perfect enough. Once we say that, then the moment we understand that things are in an unexpressed state. So where is this unexpressed state? It is a state which is doesn't have a form. It's just like a formless state. And children can be given this exercise also, even small children, that you know, you want to draw a fish or you want to um, write a few lines, you know, they're given. Now you just contemplate on it and then you write. So suddenly thoughts will come, pour in, form sentences and they'll write. The moment it is expressed, then it becomes subject to time. That's why they die. This is the big challenge of the uh, immortality at the physical level or other levels because the moment you express something it is subject to time that is the reason why Shurabindu would not announce a fixed date the mother actually announced when she spoke of 14 months very difficult months when she said that at the end of 1954 31st December she said the next 14 months are going to be very difficult Precisely after exact 14 months, the supramental manifestation took place. So this was an indirect way of, you know, announcing a date. But it's not announced because the moment you have announced, it, it is now it can be attacked. Have you ever seen that the moments you speak words, 
then they are subject to all kinds of interpretation, misunderstanding, cures. So what they need to know is that actually there is no birth and death. There is expression and a lack of expression or unexpressed state. Now, how this unexpressed state came into being, it is in a formless state. That's, that's the highest you can go. And then there is no question of birth and death because it is in a state which exists for a child. And if a child understands this much, it is actually um, quite a big advance. Because I have seen even sometimes, you know, uh, people when they are asked this question, I am not talking of people but yogis or uh, gurus and they say, you know, uh, God is creation and there is nothing else. The two are together and... Uh, if there is no creation, there is no, you know, it's nothingness. But it's not true. There is the manifest divine, there is the unmanifest divine. Now I am taking it to the next level. And there is a state of consciousness in which the two are yet together. The manifest and the unmanifest. You can go on saying manifestation itself is eternal and temporal and keep going into that. But essentially it's enough to know that there is a manifest creation and there is an unmanifest creation. Uh, unmanifest creation, when it manifests, it creates um, uh, storms, it's a new thing and the whole creation has to adjust to that. After all, that's what supramental manifestation is about. It was there, but it was it had never manifested itself. So now it has come into manifestation. So it's bound to create something new and the whole manifestation has to adapt to it. It has to adjust to it. And of course, there is something which always remains the unknowable mystery. It's good to have that sense of the unknowable, that beyond it there is an unknowable which one has to actually experience and know. And that is another example which I often give with regard to both children and adults. So I tell them, see, you know, supposing uh, I have gone to Himalaya, not supposing I have gone to Himalaya and seen the snow-clad peaks and now I come and describe it. So what do I do? I describe in a book form, I describe as images, I can show a film and you will get a aha experience. Very nice. But this aha experience is only a replication or reflection of the original aha, which you get only if you climb the mountain. You know, Shurabinda at times would say that a particular person, he had the experience of the self in the mind. There is a whole canto in Savitri, in the self of mind. So, how, you know, people often, very often, they get an experience in the mind, but they think it is the authentic original experience. No, it is a reflection. That is like, that's why we read about the moon. Moon is the spiritual mind. So, it is not the original light. It is a reflected light from the sun. So, if we are in the higher spiritual consciousness and not yet the supramental, we'll have indirect reflected experience, which we may think as true. They are true in only one sense, that they are reflecting something true. But that original experience can only be had if you actually walk the way. So this is the beginning, you get an aha, some people get the aha, some don't get the aha, you know, hearing about something. Then you walk and walk, and when you reach there, that mystery, that experience, that expression is left to each one because it's a beauty in it, it's a wonder in it. So it's also good for everyone to remember that there is an unknowable. Now this unknowable cannot be known 
only in the sense that it cannot be known by the present human mind and the present organization of senses. So we have in Savitri a whole canto in the pursuit of the unknowable. Pursuit of the unknowable. But it can be known by other ways. So this also can be explained to the children that, you know, uh, there is a mystery which you can know, but to know it, you have to develop certain faculties, senses, uh, certain colors we cannot see, certain sounds we cannot hear, but others can hear. Children ask this question that, you know, why I can't see God? So I tell them that, look, you know, even seeing the sun is so difficult for us. Sun is existing. We feel the warmth. We know it rises. The day changes. Everything happens. But if you directly look at the sun when it is rising or at least when it is risen, uh, it is blinding to the eye. So we cannot see God because we are not yet ready. Not yet ready. So it remains an unknowable mystery. But a day will come when we will be, when we can develop ourselves and we should grow in that direction. So we have the direct experience. So these are many analogies which we can give. For instance, now people are trying to send a solar mission. Eventually, now it is going almost till 56,000 miles close to sun. That's the closest. <laughs> so we don't know. It's a mystery. The sun is a mystery. But um, a day would come when we will advance toward. Then we'll have the original understanding of what the sun is. Though even from 56,000 miles, we can get some idea. Uh, this is uh, itself a big change. So... That is how we draw nearer and nearer. The nearer we draw to God, the more we understand Him. So here on this ground, we can understand thus further and no further. This is the way to communicate this truth. Um, with this, we slip on to the next, uh, which is uh, not next. There is no next because it's all oneness. So the subject is towards human unity. And I find this question very, um, very, very good, very interesting because... All things before they express outside, they enter into an unexpressed state. You know, that's why it is said the dreams of today are the realities of tomorrow. So we should be careful what we are dreaming about, what we are thinking about. What we are thinking, it's not thinking. Wherever it is coming from, for a moment we leave aside the entire occult dimension of life. Wherever it is coming from, it is will try to press itself into physical reality and if we don't work it there a time may come when we may just may spin out of control and it expresses itself and then we say oh my god such a terrible thing happened well I allowed it to happen for a long time it was there in an unexpressed state it is known you know and the good side of it is that if an aspiration is born in us then it's a sign that it has already been granted at another level you cannot aspire without that. Aspiration is only a mechanism, a means by which we are being prepared to receive what has already been granted at another level. So aspiration is like fire which is preparing the pot. Why? Because the divine has decided to put that nectar wine into this cup. But we must aspire because that is a path of preparation. Mother says that it's, it adds intensity. Because people ask this question also, why pray, why aspire? Ultimately everything is going to happen because divine has willed it so. Yes, but aspiration is there to prepare us to receive. So if an aspiration is come, means already it has been decided at another level to grant it. But when that 
thing will actually materialize, that's where the whole journey lies. So before we talk about unity outside, we must unite within. See, uh, when a organization was formed in the name of unity and uh, they went to mother. Mother gave an interesting message. She says, before you can realize unity outside, you must realize unity within. And then she says half jokingly that, you know, three persons started the group and they all three started fighting with each other. Why? Because this is our inner reality. So unity doesn't come by a kind of outer bonhomie. If we try to do that by simply outer means, it will become a semblance of unity. And today we are living in a world of truth where semblances and half measures are not allowed. So there is breakdown. Families, there was semblance of unity. Now those semblances won't work. Meaning thereby, we have to now make an effort at truth. What is the effort at truth? I must actually understand the other person. Now look, this, this is a big effort. <laughs> you can't forcibly put people together and say that you are, you know, let's have unity. At the same time, the fact that we all aspire, men, most of the people now nowadays, I believe, um, do aspire for unity in one way or the other. And it's a good thing because it will one day express itself in various ways. But let's start by creating unity inside us. So where is the disunity within? Just look at oneself and we'll see. So many mindsets, preferences, ideas, viewpoints, opinions, angles of seeing, all kinds of conditioning from childhood. And it takes a tremendous hold upon our consciousness. And we live and move around like that. It's a living chaos. And it begins to express itself all around in countless ways. Otherwise, if we try to do it outwardly without resolving this factor inside, we will create chaos. It's like, for example, putting something true and untrue together and saying, you know, let's have a unity. It doesn't work like that. It will create more chaos because there is chaos inside. That's why Shubhinda speaks of truth and falsehood not living together. We have to eliminate all these things which are disruptors, which create disharmony inside. Even within us, thought goes in one direction, will in another. Feelings are running in God knows where. Desires have their own logic or illogic. And poor body suffers because it doesn't know whom to listen. We have so many masters inside. So to create inner unity, we have to pick up the highest and the best possible part within us. Normally, in most people, it's the higher mind. And with that, or discerning intelligence, and with that we try to organize our life. When we create some kind of a unity within, we can begin to have some unity outside. That's why there was a dream in uh, 17th century, 18th century, that one day we can have a rational order in which people can be united. But this rash rationality can to an extent create unity. It is not yet the ultimate hub. The hub lies deep within the heart and that's why the emergence of the psychic being is so important. It is only the psychic being which is which can discover a state which is independent of time and space and the reason is very simple. The moment you touch it, you discover, oh, you were born in different, uh, you know, <laughs> dimensions. Uh, you were born in Greece, you were born in Russia, you were born... So, when you deal with everybody, you know that, well, it doesn't matter who is born where at this point of time. 
because spontaneously this knowledge comes the psychic being carries all these imprints and even if we don't recover this memory of past life it's a tricky space i don't want to get into it all kinds of things are happening in the name of memory of past life but even if we don't the imprints are there and therefore we very readily emerge into a state where we understand that well regardless of where you are born and what your outer thing is you are we are one because we have all gone through and in the kind of unity also develop because we begin to discover that we have gone through all the states and stages through which maybe others are passing so there is a greater tolerance generosity greater understanding because you have gone through all that and those memories come back because they are as imprints in the psyche it has gone through countless experiences that's why if we really want to create unity even within a small space like the house we have to discover the psychic being i come back to the same thing this discovery i can say for sure it is the most practical thing to be done because without this we are leading half a life we may think oh i am enjoying life it's a half a life but with this discovery we discover also the source and fount of love you know psychic being because it directly open to the divine within to the universal consciousness therefore it spontaneously draws its quota of love is constantly receiving the inpouring and outpouring of divine love so it doesn't need to look for give me this give me that i want this it doesn't want anything but what it does it pours itself out on in countless ways because that's the its state of giving it's natural for the psychic to give itself more and more the vital can also do it but it does in a different way so we must discover this hub the hub of unity within us is the psychic being the central point in the heart and even we know that physiologically that's the place center of the chest where there is the electrical neutrality we spontaneously identify with it you know when we meet people and um, if you have to say somebody says who are you or whatever some gesture uh, i am so if i have to use a gesture to indicate i am i will not say i am if you do this in india they will think you are very unhappy matha phodda hai i am or you don't touch the belly and say i am you say i am i am this is spontaneous you don't nobody has to teach us this because we know that the true i is here and when we discover this i within us we discover it's the same i in everyone so there is a sense of universality of one family and everything that's why shubindra says this unity has to be created on the basis of discovery of the one self which also means that so long as we are very much outwardly tied into so many knots of the ego of individual ego uh, my caste creed language state race color then it's very difficult because i have tied myself to 100 knots so one of the first things which the mother advises if you want to discover the psychic being she says discover in yourself that which is independent of time space and the circumstances of our birth independent of that so that's the direction we must take if you want to have unity outside let's go inside 
then unity will become natural and a unity not only with human beings with animals with plants with everything so this is the just a little basis and a background any questions on this or any subject The ecosystem right now, as it stands, seems to be at the brink of a collapse with bees dying and 60% of the species extinct and the oceans are clogging up with plastic. All, this, all these things create a great amount of distress in me. How do we raise the bow of these things and keep some kind of equanimity or equality? How do you have this work? No, it's a good thing if we are concerned about the ecosystem. It's a good thing. We don't have to... Equanimity would not mean indifference. Equanimity simply means when we work into these things, we don't experience that inner distress. That we have to root out. Of course, we have to work. We have to be concerned about the ecosystem, the plastics in the oceans, and all the things that you are saying is quite relevant. And uh, if we care about the world, we must care about, you know, we must be concerned about what's happening. But what equanimity is that the inner state is uh, in a state of quietude. And why does it develop, how does it develop quietude? Uh, like for example in the Gita, one is fighting a battle. But Sri Krishna also says don't have any hatred. <laughs> now you know that is the difficult part. Becoming indifferent is the easy part. Becoming indifferent one doesn't need equanimity, one needs to be terribly egoistic. How do I care? Oceans are clogging, let it clog. I am not going to see the doomsday. I am, I'll, that's not a good state, that kind of indifference. Equanimity means that I'll do whatever work is given to me, but I understand that there is a deeper wisdom that is operating, which will work itself through everything. This trust is the basis of equanimity for one form. There, there are other ways, philosophic and other. You can take a philosophical approach and become vaster than... Uh, all the several creations and say that look I have a role to play I play this role but it doesn't matter earth has collapsed several times and come back uh, but I will play my role because that's my role to play but uh, what we should also remember and for this I go back to an example imagine a state billions of years back and before animal life has emerged there is only plant life now I'm sure the plant species must be wondering what's happening. Why? Because they are dying of oxygen. You know, plants plants need carbon dioxide. <laughs> They're overcrowded. They don't know what to do. And I'm sure if I have to put it like a mythical story, they all went to God Vishnu and said, Please help us. We are dying. We are dying of our own self. So Lord Vishnu will say, don't worry, I, am, I have some plans for you. What plans? What schemes? Don't worry, I have no plans and schemes of that kind. I am going to send a new creature. And that creature will give you more than required carbon dioxide. And what is poison to you will become amrit to that creature. So a new balance came up, isn't it? Man breathes oxygen. So now what has happened? Then next level, because man had to do a balance, eventually when man came, he started ransacking the plant life. 
then he discovering that i depend on that so the next level this coexistence they give me what i need and i give them what they need and you know i can't one cannot exist without the other so this is how it it happens today what we are seeing all the upheavals all the radiation and all these things which are impacting earthly life now you know when you talk about evolution i have heard some uh, again uh, i don't like to use the word i am bit allergic to the word yogi used in very casual way loose way but i have heard people say you know evolution has stopped with man it's not a fact it's not a fact simple fact let's forget about spirituality it is not a fact obviously people are not reading enough material about you no know, read about evolutionary biology evolution has not stopped with man evolution is continuing and i gave one example there is another very interesting example by the way of evolution Uh, taking place continuing to take place and we ignore these small things you know what is happening to the wisdom teeth any idea dropping off ah you wisdom if if children don't have a wisdom teeth they are probably wiser <laughs> no there is a personal aside to it because i don't have wisdom teeth so i feel <laughs> <laughs> whether wiser or not but i can say ah, i don't have wisdom teeth you know the reason because um apparently the reason is that we are you know adapting to a different kind of diet but we think these are small things you know what was the first change that took place from animal to man tail bone vanished and the thumb began to you could do this movement the possibility of whatsapp was created million years back <laughs> God knew one day he will need this. <laughs> Gorilla can't do it. He may have everything knowledge, but he doesn't have the outer technology. Pelvis expanded because you know you have to, uh, unlike the animal kind, uh, you can't you know give birth like that. So it changed in a in a woman, and very interestingly, because of all these changes, look how nature's wisdom works. This is good to know it because it's sobering. that we think so much look what happened in the transition human babies are the only babies who are born without a fully developed brain you have an opening what is called as fontanelle and if it is fused it's not a good sign you it it allows scope for the brain to develop and grow on all sides because uh, we are not you know unlike a giraffe baby which can come pop and start walking in you know i don't know how many hours human beings cannot because it's not wired that's why you need to take care of a child especially the first two years uh, even more all this nature has thought about million years back so there is a wisdom that is operating now what happened is in this evolutionary process what triggers and spurs the evolution challenges challenges what a body is drying up so there is a challenge the species must face a challenge so human evolution is growing uh, you know is taking place but what we are doing we are eliminating all the challenges so what were the challenges earlier you know the now we have comfort zones we have air conditioned we have there is no challenge left so nature is one step ahead so you want to eliminate challenges i am going to give you another kind of challenge so now human beings are facing a double challenge on one side because of their activities to enter into comfort zones you know now we talk about ac and the uh, 
um, you know that uh, the environmental issues and all that so on one side our own actions has led to increased challenges to the environment on the other side we have a double challenge we are facing challenge within the species we may end up destroying each other through a war so these challenges nature is bound to give now when we face these challenges the human body the human mind everything has to evolve to adapt to it how does it evolve and adapt all that you are we now you know talk about things on which life depends yes as a human being it depends but if you read through the new body you will see that it doesn't depend on any of these things the entire basis is changed altogether the entire physiology and chemistry is changed human beings may well draw directly energy from the sun so please those who are investing in food industry think about it 500 years down the line it will it it may be still there 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 will always be human species but a large chunk of human beings will not need food may not already this happening in children i think most mothers one of the big concerns they had when as a young doctor i sat in the clinic in air force mothers used to come with one perpetual complaint my child doesn't eat so you keep asking is it growing yes is growing is active very active hyperactive it doesn't eat i said no nothing wrong with your cooking most children are not eating isn't it this uh, ask our parent they will give it the other story you no know, you used to eat so well why is the grandchild not eating may not be your generation but at least you know so this is a these are things which are happening which may look like casual things but they are not casual there is a change which is taking place hyperactivity in children now hyperactive children have increased why because there is tremendous vital mental energy influx into the system and we can't handle it because earlier we could throw it out in several ways physical activity so what will happen to this energy it will start finding outlet and ways and means so a being with a new body which eventually will come maybe 500000 years down the line will not need these things and so much of the things that we are doing will automatically find their new resolution i'll go one step further you know what shurabindo has seen and foreseen sometimes may sound like a sci-fi but passingly he mentions the previous stage of evolution was in the mars and it may well be that the next stage may in the maybe in the venus passingly only one place shurabindo mentions it when mother was asked can a developed psychic being go to any planet says yes once it is developed it can go anywhere it need not <laughs> be here it can go anywhere could it be possible that you know if earth goes into a doomsday mode we inhabit at least those who are ready are lifted up and start a new colony fresh on fresh grounds in a very different way it sounds fantastic life is fantastic we should learn to dream it's a, it's a wonder we may start you know because then you are not see our thinking is based on present form of life we need oxygen to breathe where will be oxygen on mars it's not there or venus it doesn't matter so perhaps man's attraction for mars exploring other planets is in tune with alternate plans that the divine wisdom has kept open as doors so it doesn't mean that we become casual or very nice now i have to go to venus i don't care it's not that but we must trust that there is a divine wisdom which is 
giving us challenges and the one solution to these challenges is evolving from within this where it is pushing through uh, to close this part you know whatsapp you must be getting several times what food to eat when to drink water how much to drink and how much you know it isn't it all sometimes you feel my god somebody is saying drink this much water don't drink sit down and drink stand up and drink <laughs> drink before 6:30 drink uh, you know this is only water mind you food exercise chaotic that's not the final answer antibiotic resistance all these people are afraid in medical science it's a big problem going on that all the bacteria are outsmarting human beings before you discover an antibiotic they figure they figured out ways and means to override we don't need to wait for the oceans to get clogged the virus is enough but look at the wisdom this challenge what is it pushing us in which direction it's pushing us in a direction where we are now talking about that ultimately i must figure out my own immune system medical science moving in that direction there are doctors here and uh, immune system much of whether it's cancer whether it's infection autoimmune disease it's our immune system our immune system depends on my inner state so we are turning full circle within now when the immune system is fine we we redefine the balance of things right now we were killing bacteria viruses without thinking anything yeah? these are unicellular organisms pests but they are also necessary in the total balance of creation when we do it it hits back you eliminate smallpox you develop aids be as a species we don't know what kind of things we have done so we it's this all this clogging and blocking and various other challenges are pushing us in that one direction which we have not looked into that it is within that i am going to find the answer to my all the various problems and if you find the answer you will see that the outer challenges will recede simply because they were they had a purpose and they have served their purpose having said that we should clean the oceans certainly we should not pollute them and i mean it's it's ignoble to say the least to dirty things and you know to create disorder it's not a good healthy thing but without worry or fear the master nice line in savitri one who has made this world is ever its lord our errors are his steps upon the way he works through the fears vicissitudes of our lives he works through the hard breath of battle and toil he works through our sins our sorrows and our tears whatever the appearance we must bear his knowledge overrules our nescience whatever our strong ills and present fate when nothing we can see but drift and bail a mighty guidance leads us still through all this guidance is not only individual it's the whole collective all through history of evolution is full of this story of noah story of you know king satyajit all these are stories which show that there is a guidance which leads us through all this so without worrying without fear and with full trust in life in destiny in the divine we must do what we must do regardless of success or failure 
Yes, please. You mentioned about manifestation and unmanifestation. Uh, manifestation of this world is like a three-dimensional world, having wind, yes. land, and height. Uh, and that occupies space. Now, Einstein has combined their time and space together. Like time is wrapped around the space. So he uses word like time-space, not two words. So this torus of time-space, when you go beyond that, there's a three-dimensional world, which is made of imagination, creativity, and the essence of love. So we know creativity is like a concept, creation, manifestation. Imagination is like a preview, like what Einstein said, a preview of life's coming attractions. And so the essence of love, what so unknowable has created three dimensions beyond that. Yes. So we have to unite manifestation with unmanifestation. Uh, so we have to go beyond yes, so this, this um, you see, our understanding and theories are based on our present experience. The fact is that if we go beyond this experience, we do not straight away land, jump from this world of a three dimensions or a time-space continuum into that which is beyond time and space. We go through successive time-space dimensions. And then we discover that there are not three dimensions or four dimensions. Einstein is, uh, you know, there are incidentally what he was trying at a, at a given point of time. Since we are speaking on ground of physics, in the 60s, a new approach came in. And it, it, that approach is still going on. You know, it's not resolved this issue. Whether there are perhaps 10 dimensions, 11 dimensions, 12 dimensions. Because, you know, where does... You know, this force of gravity, where does it leak into? So now people are talking about not three or four, but 11 dimensions, at least, you know, some of them have been speaking. Probably there are many more dimensions than we imagine. But we cannot unite them by all these mathematical plays while being within it. We have to find that hub. And that hub central hub in this entire creation is what is called as the divine who holds all these countless worlds within a single unity. That means man has to arrive at that consciousness of unity in which all these dimensions are held together. Countless dimensions. If I may use the word Indian, ancient Indian mystics speak of um, many, many thousands. You read Guru Granth Sahib, you'll, they talk about, uh, you know, luck, lakhs of, you know, dimensions are there. Now, what happens with physics vis-a-vis -vis mysticism? I have a little bit of difficulty, difficulty in the sense problem with that. Physics deals with the material world and it's perfectly fine. But when it extends its knowledge of the material into that which is ethereal, it errs because that's not its field. For example, let's say Sachin Tendulkar is a great cricketer and I love him. But if Sachin Tendulkar was to start a YouTube channel on, you know, how to cook or roast bananas to serve a dish. He can roast that, you know, Sarfaraz Khan very well. <laughs> but, you know, it doesn't work because uh, it's a different expertise. So mystic experience, when they speak about dimensions and beyond dimensions, they are speaking of another level of experience which is accessible to us Provided we explore. It's like, you know, uh, in India when it's, it was possible to travel all the way to US. 
or in the old world order as they would put it, you know. In search of India, people went out and they landed up in US, what we call today as America. Now, this is how we have to explore these other dimensions then. But Einstein couldn't because Einstein, he's a great scientist, but he's a scientist. He's not, you know, authority on mysticism. So mystics are mystics because they have experience. Their life undergoes a change. Material science is material science. Just like psychological science is another science. So when we talk about imagination, it is way beyond, you know, what probably... A physicist will look at. Look at imagination. What is imagination? Just to touch upon one point. We use the word Maya. The divine created this world as Maya. Now imagination is a formative power. Tremendous power. We have never tapped it. You know in the schools we are not taught how to use imagination. And a very simple exercise you know I, I, I would give for this. You know, when we watch a television, not we, I mean, there are people, children or something, they watch a television which, which is a horror show. They are afraid. They start closing their eyes. You tell them that, look, you know, it is not, it's just, just some figure. Look, they are so tiny little creatures. Again, they are afraid. That music and everything. Now, why this is happening? Actually, the mind does not distinguish between what we call as a virtual reality and what we call as a physical reality. Mind doesn't distinguish. That's something very amazing. That's why when you go through, you know, a virtual reality experience, what happens? You know it is not real. But go through it and see the body will react. Unless one has learned to detach and uh, several times one has gone, you know, one knows, okay. You know, Madame Tussard's museum, go through that horror tunnel. You know it is, none of this is real. Mind knows one part of mind, but that experience is very different, it hits very hard. So, it's important to treat mysticism and spirituality as an earnest pursuit of truth. Only the means and instruments are different. And if we want to really pursue spirituality, we have to use means and instruments which are valid for that field. I can't understand psychology by studying atoms. I have to have use other ways, other means. Uh, it may be very difficult for me to measure love. You see, uh, since we mentioned love, now uh, in the world of matter, you have measurement. You know, space is a measurement. But let's talk about uh, something which cannot be measured. My experience of love may be limited to this time-space continuum, but is love limited to that? My experience is limited to that. Psychologists will use this language. Psychologists will not say that, you know, love is belonging to this dimension. See, it's, 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 I don't know where it starts, how it starts, honest psychologist. So each field of study has its own method and it should be pursued like that. So if you want to discover uh, truth from the spiritual or mystic standpoint, the ways to go within, to go past these dimensions, many dimensions will come. In all these worlds, truth will reflect itself in a certain way. Savitri is a wonderful compendium of that. We see that at the material level, truth manifests as beauty of forms, subtle physical. Go into the vital, truth manifests itself as power. All the beings there, they, they walk with regality, the regal beings. They have a stamp of royalty. Go still further, truth manifests itself as, you know, that 
love and feelings and even imaginations all these things into the mind world it manifests as ideas that change reality reshape reality and when we go beyond all this then we experience that before which all disguises fail human mind remaining where it is cannot know the unknowable it has to abdicate to the light and be remolded by the light this is the only door of entry so it 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 is a tremendous thing and you know that's why approaching it in all humility there is so much more of the beyond but till then no harm in having some kind of a workable hypothesis it's okay each time we have something like that so but yes this is wonderful probably with that we could stop that love is the hub yes please so the mother has uh, mentioned that her one of her i'm going by my memory uh, the shloka that she really loves is kayena vacha manasendriya vidyatmana prakriti swabhava karuni yagya sakalam parasmai narayana iti samadhyami i read it somewhere that she loves that i have i have not read this having read the entire works of mother and shurbindo and all the associated major disciples and the agenda what she has mentioned which comes closest probably to what you are saying is the word narayana so she speaks about three mantras one of them when she was watching a film on bhakt prahlad she was moved by the mantra of prahlad so she speaks of that the second mantra i am not talking about om namo bhagavate which was her own mantra but other than that there were three mantras which really moved her and one of them was prahlad's mantra the second mantra she speaks about ya devi sarvabhuteshu shanti rupein sangsthita this she speaks about this mantra and the third one is she says narada's mantra so prahlad's mantra and narada's mantra both have some something of narayana in them though prahlad's mantra is narayana and uh, narada uses both om namo narayana but also narada is known to use om namo bhagavate vasudevaya so this is the closest that she comes to mother new sanskrit she has also uh, written isha upanishad in sanskrit uh, script uh, but um, i mean she didn't not to my knowledge it may not be the last uh, word of knowledge is there is no last word but uh, certainly i have read all the works and um, i can say for sure this much my memory won't fail me because it will strike very very much that she has not said that uh, it's very important also to be very careful uh, that reminds me of many things which come in the name of you know mother and shivind nowadays with whatsapp and all this Uh, i have myself seen and i don't much bother sometimes i have gone back and look you know what is the source of this information that's the best way so then uh, you know uh, it's the typical thing that you know i got it as a forwarded message so you go back and back and back <laughs> sometimes even particularly savitri is i have seen misquoted on the ashram notice board how very simply what death has said is put as lines from savitri you write few lines death has said you know bright hallucinations are thy thoughts down below shurabindo savitri perfect quote and a perfect misquote <laughs> because <laughs> um 
you know, it's so careful to be here. It's okay. There's nothing wrong if you say that mother didn't, you know, liked a mantra. It's perfectly fine. Uh, but she went beyond all the past forms. You know, one of the experiences that she narrated to Shurabindo. She says they keep talking about samadhi and as the highest state. And Shurabindu confirmed to her that you have gone way past the experience of the Upanishadic sages. It's something very beautiful, amazing. Way past. So at some point we have to understand that all our past glories are wonderful, but there is a still greater glory. And it brings such a great joy and beauty and looking forward to. So with that we can yes yes. Um, if one has a unity with self, so they can uh, interact with the other person who does not have unity. Yes. How do you interact? Oh, beautifully, beautifully, because in fact it it helps the other person to recover his unity in whatever measure. See, normally what we interact with, we are not dealing with people. We are dealing with perceptions. You see, that's why psychology is science of perception. We have an image of people. That image is formed in our mind because of various reasons. I am not going into it. So the moment I meet, I have an image. So I am dealing with an image, not with reality. Now, when I discover my own reality, and what is that reality? The divine presence within. Spontaneously, it opens the door to discover that reality inside the other person which was hidden. Now what happens? Take an example. A child tells me that, you know what, I don't think you know this or something like that. Now if I look at the divine presence within, if I am conscious of that, that babble of a child will convey sense to me. But if I deal in a, you know, I have not discovered this inner unity. Oh, tu jante, you will teach me now. Now see a cause of so many quarrels and conflicts are because of this. Because we are dealing with divided states of consciousness and therefore we, we actually deal, impersonate ourselves unknowingly and we deal with perceptions of people, images and all these things. When the images are toned, you see the divine. What do you do? You inwardly you are going down. That's why in the, the best tantra, highest tantra, Swami Vivekananda speaks of it and uh, Shurabindo Tantra Sar, it's mentioned like that. And I always remind, you know, we talk about women Shakti. You know what is the highest Tantra? What is the Puja? Ultimate peak when you don't need any more Mantras and Yantras and Pujas is to regard all women as goddesses. Now imagine, if a woman is angry, let's say you're married and your wife is angry, what will you do? Mother Kali, please. Shanti, Shanti, Shanti. You are all the time angry, you are anger prone and you know, I don't like you, I hate you. I will find Lakshmi for myself. If you are destined for Kali, Kali will come. <laughs> sure, Bindo takes it one step further. He says, why only women? All men and women. They are all manifestations of the one Shakti. Imagine looking at life like that. 
You can't have quarrels after that. You will have differences of understanding because there is one level at which you are seeing life. And there is another level. You don't have to say, yeah, 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 okay, because you know you want to please a person. No, you, will, you have another level of understanding because those eyes have opened inside you. And there is another level of understanding where you know one can see because one has gone through that stage that this is a state of ignorance. But you have compassion towards it. And ways and means you try to bring out of that veil of ignorance towards that light which you have been blessed with because of the grace. So this will be the working. And the classic example with which we, we can probably stop is that famous story of Ratnakar. You know, Ratnakar is a, is a brigand. He's a decoit. He's a murderer. Heard his name? Yeah. Yes, that's it. So Ratnakar comes and he veils none else but Narad Muni. Narad Muni says, I don't have a credit card. I am just wearing an ordinary dress. Oh, I know, Babas are having a lot of money nowadays. So the Ratnakar is also updated. You are dressed like a Baba, you must be having a thousand crore empire. He said, no, no, I am not that kind of Baba, I am a genuine fellow. I don't build empire of that kind. I have another empire, but that's the empire of the Lord. No, no, you tell me, so okay, you tie me to the tree, but I have one question to ask you. And from there starts a wonderful story of the transformation of Ratnakar into Valmiki, whose Ramayana has been immortalized through thousands of years. Now, why he could do it? He could do it, not because, if somebody else tries it, it won't work. Oh, oh my God, I don't know, should I try this trick, which Narada tried? Maybe he will kill me. <laughs> Let me call 901 or 911. Maybe it's not a good idea, maybe it's a story, maybe it's a myth. But when you see the soul, as you see, you know, an object, then you know that, yes, he is that. So what do you say? All that you will say is, Oh Ratnakar, stop wearing this mask. You know who you are? You are divine. And if you have realized the divine within, this one sentence will be enough to trigger in him a cascade of events and inner processes to lead us to that. That's, that was the way. What does the guru tell a disciple? He says, what is that knowledge I don't have? He is a, thinks he's a learned man, goes to a kingdom and there who is sitting a king called Pravahaka. He is a Raja and he, in, in discussion he makes this Rishi see the dust that your knowledge is nothing because he knows more than that. He is a king but he knows more than that because he is a yogi. So he goes back and tells his father, you didn't tell me the great secret. So he says, okay, I'll get the great secret. Ultimately, what is that great secret? Such a small mantra, Tattvamasi. You are that. Sohamasmi. I am that. Now you see, when this has a meaning only when we have discovered. When we have not discovered it, then we, Ravana also said, yes, Aham Brahmasmi. But he took the self for the bodily self. So, when we are in that state of consciousness, things change. Sure, with those aphorisms, the tiger does not attack the yogi. He loses his violent instincts, at least momentarily, when he is confronted with a yogi. Okay, we will stop. Otherwise, this is beautiful. Thank you so much.